America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Still a great nation despite the great hysteria and overreaction to the prospect of Roe v. Wade being overturned. Uh, we don't know yet what the scheduling is going to be for the court, whether they're going to release a decision earlier than expected because of the leak, uh, whether they are going to stand up to the attempt of uh, many Democratic voices to try to intimidate at least one, at least one of the conservative justices. A lot has focused on Brett Kavanaugh for reasons that are not in incredibly clear or immediately clear that he would vary the decision he apparently had reached the first time around. And meanwhile, there are people like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer who issued a joint statement, which I've just been reading, which was incredible. This is on Monday night when the news of the draft decision uh, by written by uh, Justice Alito had come out. They... Uh, they said the Republican-appointed justices reported votes to overtone Roe v. Wade will go down as an abomination, one of the worst and most damaging decisions in modern history. Several of these conservative justices who are in no way accountable to the American people have lied to the U.S. Senate. They've ripped up the Constitution and defiled both precedent and the Supreme Court's reputation. Uh, to answer that kind of heated, fevered rhetoric, nobody better than uh, David French, who is senior editor of The Dispatch. He is also a contributing writer to The Atlantic, and he's co-host of Advisory Opinions and the Good Faith uh, podcast. Uh, David, um, what's your immediate reaction to the idea that... Um, that the court, if it goes forward with its decision, as everyone expects, is uh, has ripped up the Constitution and defiled <laughs> both precedent and the Supreme Court's reputation. Uh, the disruptive precedent is Roe. That's, that's the disruptive precedent. And I, I think it's really important to focus on that, that um, if you go back to American politics since 1973, one of the most um, divisive and contentious elements of politics since that time has been Roe. Uh, it has distorted our presidential politics. It has distorted our mainly, our, including our, our congressional politics, mainly in the Senate. And it's and it did it because Roe uh, was just kind of made up. <laughs> it was kind of made up law. I mean, even in 1992, Justice Ginsburg uh, she gave a Madison lecture at New York University where she criticized Roe as breathtaking in scope and, and openly mused whether a more narrow decision wouldn't have been preferable to the extraordinarily broad decision that Roe was. So the way I look at it is a decision reversing Roe is restoring the constitutional fabric, not rupturing it. Well, you, you have a piece in The Atlantic uh, under the heading, uh, What Alito Got Right?, and it, the crucial point there, and it's brilliantly stated and, and something that I think everybody can understand and embrace, you say, first, it's important to understand the question before the Supreme Court. It is not, should American women possess a right to abortion? But does the American Constitution 
protect abortion rights. The distinction is of paramount importance. You write, the court's job is not to determine which rights we should possess, but rather the rights we do possess. Why is that distinction so important? Right. It goes to the heart of the difference between the legislature and the judiciary. So um, the judiciary is supposed to interpret the law as written. The legislature, if it wishes to expand the sphere of American liberty beyond that protected by the Constitution, it can. It has the ability to do that so long as it doesn't conflict with the Constitution itself. And so when Roe was decided, because it was quite literally making up a right that did not exist either in the Constitution nor was it deeply rooted in American history and tradition, it was exercising a fundamentally legislative function. What reversing Roe does, it doesn't ban abortion, uh, even though I would be in favor of, uh, of you know, banning abortion, uh, except in, in very limited circumstances regarding saving the life and health of a mother. Um, what Roe does, reversing Roe doesn't ban abortion. It sends the question back to the political branches of government, with those branches of government that the constitutional structure permits uh, to expand and allows to expand individual rights. And if, if the people of any given state want to do that, they have the freedom to do it. Now, you've heard, I'm sure, there, there are many people, including Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and leaders of the Democratic Party, even President Biden today uh, piled on to this, the idea that this is only the beginning, that there are other important cases that uh, Republicans and conservatives and originalists on the Constitution will seek to overturn, like the Obergefell case, the case establishing a right to gay marriage. That, uh, that is that case now? Is, is the institution of gay marriage in any kind of uh, threatened posture because of this decision? I, I'll, I'll put it this way. Um, I do not think it is a frivolous argument to say that people will use this decision as a means of launching challenges to Obergefell. But I do think that the decision will not, does not mean that the Supreme Court will overturn Obergefell. And the reason why I say that is because in the opinion itself, that draft opinion – now, again, let's just to reiterate, we're talking about the draft opinion that may or may not end up being the real thing. In, but in that draft opinion, Alito distinguishes abortion from some of these other cases, like cases that granted rights uh, to same-sex marriage or uh, right of access to contraceptives and ca uh, cases that uh, protect the you know, sexual intimacy of consenting adults. By saying that abortion deals with another person, what Rowan Casey calls a potential life and what the state of Mississippi and its abortion law calls an unborn child, and, and because it is dealing with that, this other life, um, it's different from these other cases. And, and while two people consent to have you – know, two adults can consent to have sex or two adults can consent to ha get married – uh, no unborn child consents to their own destruction. And he also, as as I recall, in the uh, in the decision, he cites reliance arguments that the uh, basically that uh, 
people are relying on the legal right to marry, and there have been hundreds of thousands of people who have gotten engaged in same-sex marriages, and right. you can't just tear that up. Right. Right. There's a much, you know, the story decisis, there's so much to say. I mean, the opinion is, you know, plus appendix, appendices, I think, is, a, you know, almost 100 pages. So there's a lot to say about it. But um, one of the analyses that the courts goes through when when deciding whether to overrule a precedent is what how embedded is that precedent? How much do people rely upon that precedent in the conduct of their lives? And it's hard to say describe a precedent that you've relied upon more than if you've gotten married <laughs> in reliance <laughs> upon it. So. The idea – that's a situation where the reliance interest in the precedent is about as high as it can possibly be. Um, it makes it a much higher hurdle for the court to say we're going to pass – we're going to, um, uh, to decide a case that would have the effect of unwinding national marriage law to such an extent that hundreds of thousands of people might suddenly find their relationship unlawful under state law. Okay, uh, look, a, if, if, if we can hold on, I want to come back because sure. Joe Biden said today, the president of the United States, that he now worries about conservatives instituting a new form of segregation of school children. Really? We'll get to that and more coming up with David. Medved Show, a pleasure and an honor to be joined by David French, who is senior editor of The Dispatch. For many years, he was a wildly successful advocate for the cause of religious liberty in this country with the Alliance Defending Freedom. And, uh, and now again, he's a contributing writer to The Atlantic, where he has a piece just out, What Alito Got Right, and he has been trying to clarify some of the overreactions to the decision or the draft decision, and who knows when the court will actually follow up making this decision the law of the land, which is the prerogative of the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, Jeremy, I wanted to play for uh, David, if you don't mind, that, that little bit where Trump was predicting that this would lead to segregation of school children. Uh, what did I say Trump? Biden, <laughs> excuse me, the other one. Uh, it was uh, President Biden who had that uh, epic uh, comment. This is uh, – uh, and, and listen carefully because as a legal scholar, you're going to really need to dig deep into this one. Uh, this is President Biden expressing his fears about the impact of Justice Alito's apparent decision. Listen. What happens if you have a state change the law saying that – that, that children who are LGBTQ can't be in classrooms with other children. Is that, is that legit under the way the, the decision is written? What are the next things that are going to be attacked? Because this MAGA crowd is really the most extreme political ex organization that's existed in American history, in recent American history. Uh, comment, David French, or are we going to see LGBTQ children uh, segregated from other children? No. I mean, 
you know, this this is Joe Biden at his worst when he 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 really is capable of demagoguing on identity issues. I mean, this goes all the way back to 2012 when he said the Romney Ryan ticket was going to put you all back in chains to a black audience. Mm -hmm. My goodness. Or when he referred to some very modest changes in voting uh, in, in in voting rights at Georgia as Jim Crow on steroids, not just Jim Crow, mind you. <laughs> <laughs> but but Jim Crow on steroids, and we really just look. I mean, I know that Biden's rhetoric is better than Trump's rhetoric, but that doesn't mean that that rhetoric is acceptable. Um, it's way over the line. It's way over the line. Now, look, I also know that there are some crazy folks on the far far right who are saying some wild things right now about the law. Um, so you can go on the you can go into the dark corners of Twitter and you can find some crazy stuff out there, but the reality is there's not segregation is not coming back to the United States of America. In fact, it uh, I, my my projection is by the end of next term, the ability to discriminate on the basis of race, for example, will be at perhaps the lowest ebb in all of American history after the Supreme Court decides the Harvard admissions case. So. Um, the ability to discriminate people, Americans will be safeguarded against discrimination on the basis of race, I think, within the, in the next year or so, more than they've ever been in the whole history of the U.S. The uh, California legislature right now, uh, which is overwhelmingly Democratic, and of course they have an eager Democratic governor, Gavin Newsom, who wants to cooperate with them. They're talking about putting a constitutional amendment on the November ballot that would uh, grant Roe rights, uh, basically would uh, any abortion you want at any point in the pregnancy, and people would have a chance to vote on that to in impose that on the California Constitution. Now, that's legally okay, isn't it? I'm not saying the outcome would be okay, but right. that the, the, that's legal for them to do that. Right, correct. If Roe is overturned, and even if Roe is not overturned, they can they can add that to the California Constitution. But if if Roe is overturned, what happens is the issue is returned to the states. So California can have one set of laws, and Alabama can have another set of laws. And in fact, they do, and they will. So it will take some time, however, for everything to sort of shake out and sort of people to figure out what laws they really want to have, because. For a long time, you could pass whatever law you wanted to pass about abortion. It would just get blocked in the courts. So there's this kind of crazy quilt of competing and seemingly inconsistent laws out there, and it has to be sorted through. And uh, there's also some talk about Republicans trying to follow up on this uh, decision by doing uh, our own federal standard on abortion. Is, isn't that problematic constitutionally to pass a law in the federal Congress and then impose it on all of the different states? Well, you know, that's a very, very interesting and contentious question because the question is what is the authority, what is the power that would allow you to do it? And the normal answer is Commerce Clause, the Commerce, commerce Clause, because most abortions, you know, people are paying for the abortions. They're using a lot of instruments or equipment that was transported across state lines. But the Supreme Court has been kind of narrowing its view of the Commerce Clause. And then at the same time, there's the Bush-era partial birth abortion ban, this national partial birth abortion ban that was upheld by the Supreme Court. 
So it seemed to be that if you could uphold a partial birth abortion ban, you might could uphold a larger abortion ban or the converse, a national law that had that allowed for abortions. Um, but that's a very contentious constitutional question um, that I'm not certain how it would shake out, to be honest. <laughs> um, but I don't I think it's moot for the time being, because I don't think that either party has the unity within the parties themselves to propose and pass a national abortion law. I think the Democrats are divided on the extent of, of how, how protective a, a Roe-based bill would be and, of abortion rights, and I think Republicans are divided on how restrictive of abortion rights uh, a bill that they would propose and pass. But I do think national legislation will be discussed. Uh, I'm just not sure of the practicality of passing it. And let me ask you finally, David, about the uh, reputation of the court, the prestige of the court, the future of the Supreme Court. Uh, what uh, what should Republicans do to back up this crucial American institution? Well, you know, I think as a general matter, uh, when the co- the court can survive and has survived very contentious decisions. I think more threatening to the court than a contentious decision is a an appearance of irregularity, and that's where you know the leak I think does real damage is that it sort of drags the court down into the mud. Um, so I think that that's more of a threat to the legitimacy of the court than a very controversial deci- decision because the Supreme Court of the U.S has issued controversial decisions for a long time, and it's still the most respected of the three branches of government. So I'm less concerned about the Supreme Court issuing controversial decisions than I am by the court being dragged dragged into the muck and mud of irregular conduct, and that's why the the leak really alarmed me. Uh, David French, uh, senior editor of The Dispatch, you can read his piece. It's linked at our website at michaelmedved.com. New piece in The Atlantic, What Alito Got Right. David French gets most things right all the time. We will be right back with more of the liberal overreaction coming up on The Medved Show. show some of the reactions to um, to the decision uh, by the Supreme Court that uh, has been indicated it is not a final decision the uh, decision which is 98 pages is one of those things where the wording might change which has a change in the meaning of the law if you actually believe that the Constitution means what it says and that the statute law means what it says uh, who knows? Uh, there may be uh, elements that are cut. There may be elements that are added. And all of that will be worked out by the court. It's one of the reasons they're not rushing, as many uh, conservatives have urged them to do, to go ahead and stop the bleeding, in a sense, stop all of the uncertainty, by making this the official position of the Supreme Court. Now, they may decide to do that, my guess is that uh, John Roberts has indicated that no, the leak, which is despicable, and everybody should agree it's despicable and dishonorable, and it's anti-court and it's anti-American, uh, 
that uh, at giving the leakers the uh, the basic credit and and going forward and issuing an immediate uh, decision uh, might uh, might not be as advantageous as doing what Justice Chief Justice Roberts has talked about, which is basically letting things operate as normal. But things are not normal with the Democratic Party. Uh, there's a lot of this that sounds like a parody. It sounds like a, uh, a skit. On Ellie Mistel, who has a uh, new book that he's endlessly promoting, he is the one who said that the Constitution was trash because it was created by slave owners and colonists. And uh, now he explains why he believes that it's actually a good thing that uh, there was nothing in the Constitution about abortion. Uh, this is clip 13. Alita, Listen. Alito's fundamental legal reasoning is that abortion is not a fundamental right because it doesn't go back to the founding because the founding fathers didn't recognize abortion as a fundamental right. And he's right about that. The founding fathers didn't recognize abortion as a fundamental right because the founding fathers were racist, misogynist, jerk faces who didn't believe that women had any rights at all. Okay, uh, and what happened is they corrected that. They created a right for women to vote. Uh, that was a constitutional amendment. You can amend the Constitution, and uh, that is uh, why, why is it that uh, the, the people who are so upset about Roe v. Wade being overturned aren't saying, okay, we're going to go ahead and amend the Constitution? Because it's not possible for them. Because to amend the Constitution, you need to get two-thirds vote in the Senate. You need to get two-thirds vote in the House. This is not the 60-vote supermajority. It's 67 votes you need in the U.S. Senate, and you need the two-thirds vote in the House. And then it goes to the states, and you need to get three-quarters of the state legislatures to go along with your constitutional amendment. There is no way to do that to enshrine Roe in the Constitution which is exactly why this decision is right. Because if, as people believe, the decision Roe v. Wade had such overwhelmingly public support, had uh, basically totally disproportionate favoritism from the American people, then you ought to be able to get that kind of constitutional amendment, which is how they ended slavery. It's how they gave the franchise to women. It's how they ended uh, your right to drink, took it away, and then they gave it back. Uh, because we are meant to, yes, use the Constitution as the bedrock of our system of rights and liberties, but that doesn't mean that things don't change. Uh, this is uh, Juanita Tolliver uh, talking about on MSNBC the legitimacy or lack thereof of the court. Listen. Clip 14. I want to start by just reminding all of your viewers that abortion is still legal. It's still legal if you want and need that service and access to basic health care today. Um, but it felt like a double gut punch. Look, I'm a black woman in this country. And so I felt as though one of my basic rights, one of our basic rights, was being immediately taken away. It's something that, I mean, it, it's, it's just deeply personal. 
because within one generation, we're going to see the right to access an abortion given and then taken back. And I can't shake the fact that Justice Sotomayor let us know that this was the direction the court was headed when they ruled to allow SBA to go into effect. When she said the justices were essentially digging their heads in the sand, they were ignoring decades and decades of precedent. And honestly, at this point, I think we're all right to question the legitimacy of the court for doing that, for ignoring decades of precedent. Uh, again, there are decades of uh, precedent based on a dubious decision. They already changed that decision to some extent with Casey because Casey introduced the idea of an undue burden as a basis for determining whether you have an abortion uh, legally or not. The, the whole idea that there is now no... If, if you are challenging the legitimacy of the Supreme Court, then what do you do? What's the point? Where does it go? Uh, let me go to an email that came in from Bothell, and Susan in Bothell wrote in, Michael, please clarify what you mean by abortion. What, what I mean by abortion is the termination of a pregnancy through medical intervention. Many people think it's all or nothing. Well, it, it is kind of all or nothing. nothing. The, the baby either continues to live or it's terminated. As I understand it, the Mississippi law says it would be illegal any time after 15 weeks. Have you seen a 15-week sonogram? That is a baby. Sometimes surgery if done on an unborn baby. Can we talk about rights for the baby? And can we talk about how many women have died from abortion? And then there are groups like Silent No More and Healing Hearts. They regret their abortions and say very little info was given them. Just like the movie Unplanned, how can I help you with your problem? I heard one of your callers today and it sounded like he would support a bill saying life begins at conception. That would be very hard to enforce. It might mean the end of fertility clinics. Okay, Susan, I'm, I'm not sure entirely where you are coming from. One of the things that's fascinating, and I do think that one of the good things about all of this conversation is we're learning more about the realities of abortion in America. The rate of abortion has gone way down, and partially it's because of things like the 15-week sonogram that you talk about. And I, one of the things that is also somewhat encouraging is that... Uh, in terms of abortions today in the United States, 95% of them are performed in the first 15 weeks. Less than 5% are performed after 15 weeks. And the idea that uh, 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 basically that uh, abortion is all one thing in one circumstance and should be the same in every single state, the whole idea, it seems to me, that you take away from this decision, which uh, is probably going to be authorized and verified soon, certainly by the end of June is what they are talking about in terms of the timing. Uh, it also recognizes a reality that uh, apparently the research indicates that 54 percent of uh, the abortions are not surgical. They are medical abortions. And uh, that would be particularly true of that 95% of all abortions that uh, are 
performed uh, or completed before the 15 weeks of gestation. Uh, We will be right back with more on what happens politically with the abortion issue coming up on the MedVet Show. Medved show. Kamala Harris uh, back at work. She has uh, recovered from her bout with COVID-19, which I think is fascinating because despite the fact that, uh, of course, President Biden likes to brag about how closely he works with Kamala Harris, she was not considered to be one of those people who was in close proximity to the president. Maybe they talk on the phone all the time. In any event, if they do, then the president gets inspirational messages like uh, the uh, one that she delivered on the subject of the day. Uh, this is the vice president of the United States uh, talking about how women's rights are under attack. Clip 16. Those Republican leaders who are trying to weaponize the use of the law against women, women, will we say, how dare they? How dare they tell a woman what she can do and cannot do with her own body? How dare they? How dare they try to stop her from determining her own future? How dare they dare try to deny women their rights and their freedoms? Uh, Okay. Uh, Is this going to persuade a lot of people on the other side, you think? She was speaking at a gala for Emily's List, which is a political action committee that uh, tries to help elect Democratic female candidates who are pro-choice. And, of course, there are plenty of them. Uh, Yesterday, by the way, in the Ohio primary for the Democrats, they had uh, a replay of a congressional battle in a largely uh, black district in Cleveland and the moderate uh, Congress person, Chantel Brown, won again and won huge. She was running against uh, one of Bernie Sanders' former aides, Nina Turner, and that was a good thing. But uh, Kamala also had this to say about the assault on freedom that she per- uh, perceives as imminent here in the United States. Clip 17. If the overturns Roe v. Wade, it will be a direct assault on freedom, on the fundamental right of self-determination to which all Americans are entitled. Roe protects the right to access abortion. It also protects a woman's right to make decisions about what she does with her own body. Okay, this emphasis that is so intense on her own body, uh, is is the baby at eight months, say, uh, Vice President Harris, is that still her body? 
Is that like a thumb? Is, uh, I don't know, is that like uh, an elbow? Uh, it is somebody else's body. And there's part of that body is the mother, of course. Part of the body also comes from the father. And part of the body is a human life. And how do we know it's a human life? Well, it certainly is alive, has a beating heart. And in terms of its humanity, it has the genetic composition. If you take a look at any of the cells of the body, it's a person. That's a person's DNA. Now, is it a fully developed adult? Is it a full human being? You can argue about that. But the idea that it is alive, without question, that it is human, without question, if it's not human, what else is it? It's not a hamster. And uh, this came in from Jim in Seattle. And Jim says, hello, Michael. Today, my wife and I were listening to your program on the radio. You were discussing abortions. Unless I misheard you, you gave two statements that made me question your truthfulness. Yes, I'm a Seattle liberal. Well, thank you for listening, Jim, and I want to respond to you. You said, number one, that Democrats would like to see abortions legal up to the day before the delivery. Some Democrats. Uh, and I may have said that, and I think it is true that some Democrats are very clear about that. The Virginia governor, who uh, lost, um, uh, actually he was term limited, but uh, if you remember the uh, Virginia governor, Governor North basically said that, that he believed that abortion should be appropriate right up to the delivery itself. Then the second point that you heard me say, which I did not say, I'm almost sure, because it would be wrong, and you're right to point out that if I said that, it was a, a, a terrible mistake, and I apologize. You said, he says, that I said, 95% of abortions would be eliminated if abortions were illegal after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Both these statements, without a doubt, are not true. No, what I said is that the only abortions that would be interfered with by that uh, Mississippi law, which is what the case was about before the Supreme Court, the case before the Supreme Court basically eliminated the right to abortion after 15 weeks, not before. That uh, what it would mean would be that 95% of abortions performed nationwide would still be legal. And uh, the only ones that uh, uh, would now be uh, illegal, and the reason that they would still be legal is because 95% of all abortions are performed during the first 15 weeks. So those abortions would have no change under that Mississippi law. They would under laws like the Texas law, and there are other states that have used that six-week standard. And I do think that it is uh, far more, it's, it, it, it is a, a more acceptable proposition and will create a lot less hysteria if uh, one recognizes that the later the stage of the abortion, the later the stage of gestation in which the abortion takes place, then the worse it is in terms of terminating a, uh, a human life. Now, I know that there are some people, very strong pro-lifers, who believe that there must be protection 
from the time of conception. And on, on that issue, by the way, there is nothing like majority support uh, pretty much anywhere. And that is a problem because even though people are not going to get the chance to vote on this issue of abortion, one of the things that this case does is it doesn't all of a sudden make abortion illegal everywhere, though it would be illegal in states that have already passed, and there are 13 of them, trigger laws that say that if Roe v. Wade is ever eliminated, then this will be the law. Uh, most of those laws do have a, uh, a, a time period before uh, a, a, a baby is protected. And by the way, most people do not realize or remember that in Roe v. Wade, they uh, felt that the test was up to viability. Viability is usually defined as 22 weeks. Some people say 24 weeks. But uh, there is a clear right, even under Roe v. Wade, and this is what's so peculiar, they sort of impute this from the Constitution, is that you have a right to abortion up until the baby is viable. Now, getting the entire Constitution, uh, trying to deploy the Constitution for that kind of specificity is truly, uh, truly problematic, it seems to me. Uh, coming up on the MedVed Show, we're going to be uh, continuing the conversation with one of the leading legal, legal scholars in the United States, Akhil Reed Amar, who is a Sterling Professor of Law and Political Science at Yale University. And he can talk about both the law here as a, an author of uh, remarkably well-received books about the U.S. Constitution and the history about the way the Constitution is understood. Uh, the Words That Made Us is his most recent book, America's Constitutional Conversation, 1760 to 1840. So what happens now? And is there, honestly, an, this uh, case, does it herald that we will be going through uh, dozens and dozens of other issues to try to understand the constitutional framework? We will be dealing with that, be dealing with the uh, latest concerning Russia's new wars on Sweden and Finland. How is that going? And uh, uh, if we uh, have time, also take a look at some remarkably good news from American educational sources about something good that's happening in schools in this greatest nation on God's green earth. 